This is Do Good and Do Well, the podcast for people who want to make a positive difference in the world without losing themselves in the process. I'm Sarah Fox, life, business and leadership coach. And in this podcast, I'll be sharing stories from social and creative entrepreneurs and leaders to help inspire you as a change maker to do good and do well. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Fox and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking with the one and only Matt Peacock, founder and director of Arts and Homelessness International, which aims to bring positive change to people, projects and policy in homelessness through creativity. I am a big fan of Matt's not just because of his incredible work founding two organisations that are making such a difference, but also because he's grounded and he lives his values. He's human, as he says, and he makes mistakes. In this episode, we talk about co-production, flattening organisational structures, how important it is to live your values, and Matt shares some of his own struggles with mental health and the things he puts in place to get what he needs so he can keep doing his thing. I really hope you enjoy listening. So, hello Matt, welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. Thank you, thank you very much, it's great to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. I have been a long admirer of your work, as you know, and we have known each other for, I was working out, I think I first met you about 10 years ago now. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, so I want to jump in and I want to hear about the things that you've built, because I think it's been so important for many, many people. So tell us about your work and how it all came to be. Well, hello everyone, and yes, thank you for <clears throat> excuse me this inter- invitation. So I, I guess back in the nineteen nineties, at the end of the nineties, I found myself juggling two jobs: one as a, an opera critic, an opera journalist for a magazine, and I also worked a night shift in a night shelter, one night a week. So um, in London, and I, I did both those jobs, juggled them two jobs quite at either end of I, I, I suppose you'd call the social spectrum and I loved both jobs and then one night one of the residents from the night shelter a night shelter of homeless people read out a quote in the newspaper from a politician who had said that the homeless are the people you step over coming out of the opera house and that comment created a bit of anger but it also created some interesting conversations that night one of which was that one of the residents said, look, if we're inside the opera house, instead of being stepped over, it would show people what we could do. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit about, you know, attitudinal changes and being looked down upon. And in that there was, I think, a really important challenge that the people I worked with wanted to make to the public to see them in a different light. And obviously, throughout history, the arts can do this really effectively to show a different side of a person or a social issue. So long story short, we got hold of the Opera House for a couple of days. We put on an opera with the residents working backstage. 
And the process was almost more important than the product. And mm. those six weeks of rehearsals and creating props and costumes created a different dynamic in the centre with people being asked their ideas rather than, you know, the normal transactional relationship that you kind of can have in social welfare and social justice where you're, you know, people are just sort of numbers in a way. Mm. And people felt good about themselves and felt hopeful and were talking about things that weren't about homelessness, um, but about their achievements and their skills. And then after the show, when the when the curtain came down, one guy bounced up to me and said, oh, that was amazing. What's next? And I said, well, there's nothing next. You did it. You know, it was amazing. You've achieved so much. And then I saw his face fall and realised, well, arts is you know, this, what we've gone through has been really transformational. You can't just take that away. And I'd, I hadn't thought of it, you know, in time um, for that moment to happen. So in a way, really felt terrible having kind of done something well, but something really badly. And so on the back of that, I set up a full-time charity that would do this work properly called Streetwise Opera. And that was in 2002. And, you know, one of our main philosophies was to make sure that the day after the show was the most important day. And it was about regularity and nurturing throughout the year, not just for projects. Fast forward 17 years, <laughs> the Olympics comes to <laughs> London, the Cultural Olympiad. Streetwise Opera was part of putting on a, a platform called With One Voice, which was a platform for homeless people to show their skills and achievements and that has turned into a full-time network of arts and homelessness which I run now called Arts and Homelessness International. It's just incredible you know from that moment those tiny micro moments in life how that can grow into something like this and then have the impact that it's having in the world. So how are things right now for you? How How's 2020 been for you? It's been obviously really difficult, interesting. I think we're seeing in some ways so, ma so many positive things amongst the trauma that people are facing, the isolation, obviously the deaths. If you take a step back, what we're seeing is that the arts and creativity is valued in a way that wasn't the case beforehand. So an example is uh, local authority, homelessness departments getting in touch and saying, gosh, we've got all of these homeless people now are living in hotels. They're really bored. They're desperate for something to do. What can the arts do? So people are turning to the arts in a way to fulfill some very fundamental needs for people. And I don't think that really happened to the same extent before. We made the case very strongly that mm. arts was a piece of the jigsaw of, of support for homeless people and it contributed to increased well-being and, you know, sense of pride and what's strong about you, not what's wrong about you, and all of these very essential things. But any, in any crisis, I, I think arts and arts activists come to the fore. And this is, in a way, 
an opportunity, maybe even a golden age of arts and community and arts and social action, where there's a, there's a time right now to show the real value and to push arts even more into into society. So I think those are the real positives that we're seeing, and on the ground, you know. Most homeless people, most rough sleepers have now been put into hotel accommodation. It's not a perfect system, but it's compared to a lot of other countries, it's it's amazing. And a lot of those hotels now have creative programs, which is, is fantastic. And that's the arts being that part of a support structure. Mm. Yeah, if we could only take one thing from all of this, what what is that one thing for you? I think at the moment everything in homelessness generally has changed from being working with people, not for them. So in our world, we talk about co-creation of services and co-production. And what COVID-19 has done is has, has illustrated even more the importance that this work shouldn't be a set of initiatives which are dreamt up by people who haven't experienced the the trauma of homelessness. But actually it's about conversations and it's about what people need and what they want themselves. And that's a reality of how homelessness services are changing. And it's even more so with COVID-19. And it's really exposed so many injustices in the system and in the world and it's even more important that we make sure that homeless people themselves are at the forefront of the the design and delivery of services Mm, yeah absolutely so as you know this podcast is do good do well so what does that mean for you for me, I guess it means making sure that if you if you have if you find yourself in a position which I never intended to, of some kind of social change and social action, to make sure that that is something that's that you're you're t- sort of taking care of yourself, and actually also that you're taking care of everyone around you, uh, and living out the values in what you do as well as what you say. I remember hearing a really wonderful analogy years ago about strategies and values in an organisation being like the writing that runs through a stick of rock, a seaside rock, where if you imagine the word Brighton, wherever you break the rock, you see Brighton. And I think that's a good reminder, not just for an initiative where you if you talk about, say, kindness as one of your values or justice, if you then push your colleagues too far, that's not that's not right because you know you, you don't see that word running through. You should see that word running through the stick of rock. So wherever you cut it, you should still see that that word. So I think it's about living true to what you're doing and walking the walk as well as talking the talk so how do you know when you're walking the walk and talking the talk when does the kind of yeah i'm doing i'm doing well i'm, I'm 
showing up as my best self? I suppose sometimes for me, it's about uh, kind of listening to instinct. And I think, you know, in your heart of hearts when something isn't quite right. And then aside from that, it's definitely the case that a lot of people who find themselves working in this arena, not everyone by any means, we've gone through life challenges ourselves that have made us, I don't know, more susceptible, more empathetic to working. Certainly I experienced mental health issues along the road and a way that my voice wasn't heard. So it, ma it makes me very passionate about helping get, getting other people's voices heard. Now, the danger there is that, you know, those those difficulties, you know, you, you, you're not going to, they're not completely necessarily going to go away. If you work in this arena, you may still feel rubbish inside, but you're putting on your game face at work. And I think all of that is is about a journey, really. Certainly for me, I some days are good, some days aren't so good. I try and put building blocks in place where I can operate in a way which is not going to be detrimental to my health. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and it's so important because it, it, you know, if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're not, if we're not being very aware of what it is we need in order to show up and make the impact we really want to make, then nothing changes. And, and actually, you, when you come from a place where you have such a desire to, to support people to make the world a better place, but your world isn't a better place and, you, and you're really struggling, then you, in a way, you sort of, how can you possibly then really support other people? And I suppose there's something in what you're saying about that kind of... Um, being able to be a bit vulnerable around that as well and and being able to really recognize that we are human beings and as much as we're passionate and as much as we can be confident we do need to yeah just sort of assert our own needs within that process as well i mean in an area of homelessness mental health comes up all the time mm. and the way that we're running arts and homelessness international and i say we because it's it is somewhat of a flat structure and a, a co-produced structure is that you know 50 percent of our board and staff are people who are and have been homeless and we do things like we talk about work in a way that's more of a conversation. Some of us are having a good time, some of us aren't, and we support each other. We have quite a big well-being budget. And we're very open if we want to be about our own needs. And, and that's certainly helped. It really does help when you realize that other people are struggling. And that can that can be good. And also at the same time to recognize that when people say work is keeping me going, sometimes that is really positive because it can be something that is creating stability where there's chaos, mm. but also recognizing when that becomes not healthy and it becomes more of a 
you know, a, a way of controlling anxiety and controlling depression and forgetting it. And mm-hmm. I've certainly been in that situation where I, I sort of don't want to face the reality. So I just work even harder. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's very complex because sometimes there's no right or wrong way of doing it. And, you know, doing the next right thing <laughs> sometimes it's hard to see that. Yeah, we've all got coping mechanisms. I think what I've more recently done is try to create some space for some really good things day to day. And a lot of people do this, you know, a dog walk or a, mm-hmm. a bit of a bit of mindfulness for me that helps for other people. Could be sport. Uh, I do quite a bit of that when I'm not falling off my bike <laughs> currently. <laughs> They're just on the back of uh, another accident, so I can't do that. But yeah, those moments I find for me are like little islands of security in a sea of chaos sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that's a lovely way of seeing it. And as you say, it's so different for each individual. And it's about figuring out what works for you. And... I think there's something when we see someone in trouble, we want, we really want to help them, we want to support them, so we'll offer them lots of advice. But actually, it's that's it's that person's experience. It, it you know, it has to be down to them and what they love and what they, where the moments of joy are for them, or moments of um, release and relaxation. I think it's so interesting what you were saying about work and, you know, throwing yourself into that, because I think that's almost sort of sounds like a numbing, you know, how like sometimes you've had a really, really hard day and I will just want to like lie on the sofa and watch the most ridiculous television that I don't really like. But it's that numbing and not having to think about it, not having to process anything because it just feels really tiring <laughs> to have to think about it. Yeah, exactly. And it can be, it can be, well, again, it, it, everyone is a bit different. And I can, I've been in situations where the numbing is more work and sometimes the numbing is no work at all. <laughs> but I do, I think, I think what has, I mean, just going back to the I think we're really fortunate dynamic we have in the office is that if we're not feeling great, we talk about it if we want to. Mm-hmm. And so other immediately you feel like other people have got your back. And amongst a small team, that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. And just just knowing that you can talk really to to somebody about it. I suppose that's harder for... So someone like myself at the moment, who's basically a team of one, you know, used to being part of a team that it was exactly that, you know, that um, working for People United for 10 years, being able to say, actually, I'm having a hard time. I need that support was really great. Now I'm in my my spare room on my own, mostly, you know, and it's how, how when you're at the very beginning of something, oh. like, what do you need to put in place right now for to enable that um, support to be there? But also as you grow, you keep those values and you keep that sense of care for the people that you might start to bring on board as well. Yeah, I absolutely hear you. And I, I feel like in some ways, lone workers have the hardest job 
in so many ways and this year has really hammered home how how hard it is financially as well to be self-employed or a freelancer the the magic that we see in the sector and this is around the world a sector of quite a lot of projects but also quite a lot of loan workers and artists who've experienced homelessness is that connection is is so important to bore you up and to feel like you know there's someone in your corner giving you like permission to believe in yourself mm-hmm. and i think those networks for individual workers are really important where you know i don't know where they are necessarily for outside the arts and homelessness field but i would have thought that there must be some peer networks or there should be some peer networks mm. for people like you and other people who are working alone mm. and because I, I just see how important it is when particularly in isolation that we found this year that, that those connections essential mm. yeah and actually i will add to the show notes for this podcast some places that people can access if they do want to get some support so I have another question. If you could go back and do it all again, what would you do differently? <laughs> oh my goodness, that's a question I should have rehearsed probably. It's a great question. What I've done definitely, I think I would have probably, you know, my older self talking to my younger self, uh-huh. I'd have probably yeah. thought, What's you know, he saying? I'd, I may probably reassure my my younger self that things would be okay, and you know what's the worst that could happen. It's it's a sort of joke that we always said because lots and lots of things, bad things can happen. But maybe just keep a little bit of lightness and never never forget to be kind. Or the things that I regret is when I've you know been short with people or said something unkind and. Yeah, those are those are the things that I would I would try and redo and always think of other people in this journey because it's really, really tough mm. with everyone. Mm. And the more that we can help each other, the better. Other practical things. Yeah, I mean I'm conti- you'd think starting a second charity, you'd kind of do all the stuff that you didn't do well better the next time. And I'm making the same mistakes and I don't know why that is, but yeah. And yet, I don't know, mistakes are good. And I don't want to kind of just be a serial you know, ce- celebrator of mistakes, but I also think that they are your greatest teachers. Mm. And I, I used to think really differently about co-production. And I think partly because I kept a bit of an open mind and listened to the criticism that we were able, I and we were able to change really quickly to be somewhat of a leader in co-production now in the sector, make sure that uh, there's proper leadership pathways for people who are and have been homeless and that, that leadership will be different in the future and there'll be um, fewer people like me who haven't got a lived experience of homelessness running homeless organisations because ultimately that's wrong. Yeah, I was going to pick up on actually the fact that you have founded two organisations now and that sense of the 
you're talking now a in a slightly different way about how how you co-produce now to how you co-produced 20 years ago what do you think has really driven that change in thinking there's there's kind of ethical and practical reasons so it, it is hard to continue to advocate for a system where people without any kind of lived experience are running organizations for people with lived experience it just go it's just an ethical issue i think and then when you see it happen and all of people's anxieties about creating situations where people who have perhaps gone through a lot of trauma and chaotic lifestyle are in positions of leadership and things are better, not worse. It's a massive wake-up call. And everything that we do where we're working together, I believe, is richer. I don't really believe anymore in that kind of hierarchical model and the, you know, the celebrated leader. I'm constantly having my mind changed by colleagues and many brains are better than one. I mean, I think it's a question of curating and facilitating decisions more than, I mean, that, that's what, that's what mm. makes things work rather than one person who's got all the brainy ideas. Mm. Curating uh, and facilitating. And do you think then in this context of looking after ourselves, do you think it, it in a way makes it easier for this type of structure because then we all take the same responsibility rather than having that one celebrated leader that that makes all the decisions yeah definitely when when you start working where there's an openness of thought and an openness of well maybe my idea isn't the isn't the best one everything else becomes open then as well there's a, a you want to kind of receive more knowledge and receive more ideas and you're more, more just generally more receptive. And this is the, this is the, the, the big culture change when we do some co-production training, which we do with local authorities as well as organizations. Now it's, it's moving from that kind of, oh, I'm, I'm really good at consultation with a group and maybe we'll listen to their ideas and implement some of them. That's not co-production. <laughs> it's actually a really fundamental power shift where you may be wrong and they may be right. And what are the mechanisms that are going to make, make sure that you're not making mistakes because they are right. So, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it is a total culture shift, that way of thinking. And it needs a different mechanism. So it's not about focus groups or consultations, mm. meetings. It's about every meeting mm. having at least one person there who not necessarily can represent the voice of all homeless people, but actually that it's one person who's, who's, who has a voice and then it's two people. And then before you know it, it's 50-50 or more than 50-50. And, and that's where I think we're going to, which is good. How have, how are local authorities responding to to the work that you're doing with them? 
as that's not an easy shift. I used to work for a housing association and was very much involved with resident involvement. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of listening and, and we had to have a certain number of residents quite rightly coming to the meetings. But sometimes the mechanisms then weren't in place for their ideas to to be able to happen. It's a much bigger shift, as you say. So how, how are local authorities responding to it? Well, we're coming in partway through a system which has been in development for quite a long time. So we're very lucky in the sense that there's the language for it and people are familiar mm. with it. We're not like we're not pioneers by any means. We're pioneering an approach of being totally 50-50 through everything, through every meeting, through every speech. And I think by and large, gosh, it, it, it's partly a question of almost for me of, of, about people <laughs> and through the years when people talked about advocacy and how you can make change actually quite a lot of people who are in power are fairly decent people and actually they can make change and it's almost sometimes the luck of the draw or targeting the people who are more receptive to this and then just as you know when you drop a a pebble into a pond and the ripples spread you know, we're thinking, well, if we're doing this in Coventry and actually Haringey is a really good example of someone who's, you know, the head of homelessness there is such a, a forward thinker that if we get that right and everyone sees what's happening in, in Haringey, then other people will mm. no doubt join. And then one other local authority jo joins and then maybe another one and that begins to spread so I think that kind of change is something I feel like you start hyper-local and then it spreads. And it's also about, you know, trusting that some people are actually human beings. <laughs> which they are. Some. <laughs> <laughs> that came out wrong. Um, some policymakers, all policymakers, human beings. Yeah. And some really want to make change and are yeah. ad, uh, activists themselves. Mm. And yeah, are really mm. up for the change. And have worked hard to get to that point where they, you know, feel like they can make a real difference. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how do you how do you continue to learn so that you can stay on top of all of this? Because things must be changing rapidly, you know, figuring out who's doing what, who's doing it well, where who you can learn from. How do you make sure that that happens? Well, the truth is you can't. You can't stay on top of everything. And you, uh, I mean, social media is, is is quite amazing, actually, these days, where I, I've learned a lot of, lot of legislation changes and things that people are doing from Twitter. And I don't know, you, you constantly get, like, FOMO, fear of missing out. <laughs> when you see, like, some conference that you're, you think, well, I not only should know about that, I should probably be part of that. But, you know, that's just inevitable um, stuff. Just try and read things and hope that people pass things on to you. And for us, knowing where our expertise lie, mm. that's very much in arts and homelessness, not in kind of intricate policy change. But that will be sort of essential to know if we're going to do the job that we do. Mm. I'm so glad you said that about 
you know, the truth is we'll never know everything. Because I, I think there is that sense that if we have decided to make this our business, our work, then we should know we should know stuff you know and if people talk to us we should be able to to be able to give them the answer straight away but actually that can be really hard having to build your business you know you're doing the business stuff the organizational stuff and you're doing the the practical work you're in the business you're working on the business you can't know it all and being able to say to yourself i can do my best and actually as you were talking i was thinking that you do really need to know what it is you want to achieve so that you learn very quickly what to say yes to and what to say no to because that kind of scattergun approach of there's a conference over there there's a you know i should be listening to this podcast or it can just feel so overwhelming when all of that information is out there yeah absolutely it it reminds me that when on the occasion that people sort of ask me for advice about starting charities, I almost always advise people not to feel like it has to be perfect before you start. Mm. I think it's a danger to think everything has to be in place. I need to know exactly everything, but you can't and give yourself a break, you know, to start it because actually once you start something new, then I feel that the, so world comes to give you a hand sometimes and there's a momentum about it once you've made that decision to start something and almost a release oh i've made that decision right let's get on with it yeah yeah stop procrastinating and do it <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect so what's next for you well we working across a few priorities that we've that we've discovered in the arts and homes world one of which is the disparity between the amount of projects in the global north and the global south. So we're concentrating a lot at the moment on focusing on finding and developing and supporting arts and homes projects below the equator, essentially. We're also trying to help the sector understand this new world of working online and increasingly in a hybrid sense because there's certainly quite a lot of people we work with who are experiencing homelessness who prefer an online space if they can get on it uh, and despite all you know d- digital exclusion there is a, there is this question about where a safe space is and for some people it isn't actually being in the same room as other people it's sometimes being on your own actually so and and the hotels will remain open until March. So we're doing a bit of work in places like Coventry, where it's the city of culture. We're working with them to run creative programs in a hotel, which is amazing with partners like Crisis and Underground Lights and City of Culture. Yeah, and this long road in co-production, trying to change the whole system around co-creation with people, not for them, mm. which is a brilliant challenge that we are excited to meet yeah and a very very important one (laughs) so thank you so much if people want to know more about this where can they go how can they find this stuff out so if you go to at arts homeless int and our website is www.artshomelessint 
you can find it there. We're slightly in transition because we were used to called we used to be called with one voice. So half of our stuff is in transition. But hey, you don't always get things right. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you so much. I will put all of that stuff in the show notes. I I know I said that would be my last question, but I've actually got one more for you. Sure. Is there something, is there a question you would have liked me to ask that I didn't ask? Goodness me, Sarah. Um, (laughs) Wow. I mean, I have scrolled this thing on a a note which isn't a question it's just I was just thinking about something else that was told to me a long time ago about non-negotiables I'm not sure if you've come across this but that exercise that I sometimes go through in my professional and personal life about what your non-negotiables are and I think when I'm feeling quite lost that's something I sometimes turn to and they, for me, they change a bit. I mean, there's always social justice in there, which for me is a non-negotiable and mm-hmm. kindness. Yeah, and I, I don't know. That might be useful for some people. To have a list of non-negotiables. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think they can change over time. But knowing, knowing your boundaries and knowing what has to happen and what shouldn't happen feels really important. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for being amazing. Thank you for your honesty. It's been really, really lovely talking to you. And yeah, I think there'll be loads of people who will be getting onto that website to check out the work. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks for organising this podcast. It's really important. So power to you. (laughs) And it's not perfect yet. Yay. (laughs) See you later. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. You can check out Arts and Homelessness via their website and I'll put the link in the show notes. We forgot to mention that there are monthly Zoom meetings for anyone interested in this type of work. You don't have to work in the homelessness and arts sector. Just if you're interested, pop along and you can find all the details on the website. And if you are a change maker, a social, creative, entrepreneurial leader who wants to make a difference in the world without losing yourself, pop over to my free Facebook group and come and join us. The link is in the notes. Take very good care.